Last week, as we began the celebration of our 10-year anniversary as a church, as we gathered together as a community on first Sunday, on our gathering Sunday, uh, we celebrated that milestone together. And we began uh, with that celebration by looking at these values. Now, what I talked about last week and why we kind of came back to this and wanted to focus on this in this season of anniversary celebration is because for all of us, when we enter a time of anniversary, when we enter a time of celebration, when we come to a birthday, when we come to those times where you've got a number followed by a zero, sometimes you begin to ask yourself some deep processing questions. You get kind of existential about life, and the same thing is true organizationally. We begin to ask things like, who are we? Uh, what looks different today for us in our world than it did maybe 10 years ago? Are we the same kind of people? Are we the same kind of church? Are we the same kind of organization? Are we the same kind of group that we were when we started 10 years ago? Now, the answers to that look different in different ways because we find ourselves in a different context than we found ourselves 10 years ago. We find ourselves in a world asking different sets of questions. We find ourselves kind of rethinking some of how we do things and how we answer the questions for our community. Now, at the center of all of it, regardless of the time, you go back hundreds of years, you go back 10 years, you go to today, the focus of any church that's following Jesus should be following Jesus. Jesus is the center regardless. That does not change. What changes is how we answer the questions that people are asking as we introduce Jesus to people. It changes how we think about our faith and our context and how we connect with our world, how we live out the way of Jesus in our world. We have to think about the context in which we find ourselves in and how has the world changed and how do we live out the way of Jesus around us. Now, one of those ways that we can say is love God and love others. But your context is dependent. It helps you to understand how do we live that out and what does that look like. So the questions that people ask are different. How we answer those questions look different. And that's definitely true post-pandemic. The world has changed in a dramatic way, so we have to think about that. But one of the things that we've learned, and I, I talked about this last week, and I want to come to, back to this point today, is that we're, while we're doing a lot of you know, normal things after the pandemic, as the, the pandemic changed things, but as we come back and we're doing things in a lot of normal ways, what we know as normal isn't necessarily coming back. Everything is kind of being redefined. So our lives are being redefined, culture is being redefined, everything about us is kind of being redefined as we create a new normal. Now I have to say as a church community, I don't think we could be any more ready for this. Now last week on First Sunday on Gathering Sunday, I showed this picture, and this picture is a picture of our very first banner. I, I told everybody, I said it was not a, a real uh, impressive piece of graphic design, uh, but this is our very first banner set up here in front of Fireside Brewhouse where we had our first service. You can see the Christmas trees because it was Christmas time. And this was our banner that said the Southeast Project, redefine church. Redefine church. 
In the early days of the, of the church, this was a phrase that we used. We used this all the time. We talked about redefining the word church. And the reason for that is that we wanted to redefine the word church for people who had given up or walked away from church. More than 10 years ago, a study was done that revealed that people view the church as hypocritical, political, too judgmental. All of these really negative, pejorative words to describe the word church. So we asked back then, how do we redefine the word church for people? How do we help people see community and life and forgiveness and compassion and mercy? How do we redefine church as a place that is fun, a place to belong, a place where there's, there's excitement? What does that look like? You know, for some people, church seems boring. Church seems out of touch. It seems irrelevant to their lives. So how do we redefine the word church? And what I find is, as a pastor, what I find is, as a leader, is that redefining the word church is as much a task as it was 10 years ago as it is today. It's, it's as much of a task today as it was 10 years ago. The idea of redefining church seems to be a continuing theme, not just in my own ministry, but in the life of this church. We have been we, there's, there's, there's a, something within us, something that draws us to this idea that we want to help people see church in a different way. And I think some of that is because we've experienced that. Those of us who have been around and been a part of Southeast say, hey, I've experienced a different way of being and doing church, and I want others to experience that reality. So that's where we find ourselves today is in this idea of continuing to redefine the word church. But here's what I want to get to. We don't simply redefine church. We don't, we don't redefine church simply because we say it. You, you don't just redefine church because you say, okay, well, I am going to redefine the word church. And, and here's what church is going to look like. And here's how church is going to be. One of the things that I've always said as a church planter, which means someone who started a brand new church, is this idea that you don't, you don't start an idea of a church. You don't just have an idea for a church and start that idea of the church. You start a church by living out the reality of that church. I always laugh because I see people who you know, develop websites and huge mission statements. They have um, all of this about what they're going to look like and who they're going to be and all of these things. And I think where I'm so proud of us and how we did things was we, we, we didn't know exactly what things would look like. Instead, we said, this is what we want to do. It's not about, about what we're going to do, but, but how we're going to be. We're going to focus on the why. We're going to start with why. Why are we doing what we're doing? If we focus on how are we doing it, what we'll end up doing is we'll get lost in the weeds, focusing on all kinds of programs and ideas. We'll create sacred cows that we can't get rid of and, and, and things that we can't, we can't shift and move, we can't be flexible about because we're focused on the how, and the how can get you in trouble. Instead, what we say is, I'm going to focus on the why. The same thing is true in our lives. If we simply just focus on the how of our lives, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get? Sometimes what happens is we, we lose track of the why that we're doing anything that we're doing. And that can be true of anything in our lives. Where we want to live, where we want our kids to go to school, how, how are we going to, um, you know, how are we going to, maybe, maybe you have a vision, you want to be debt free. How are you going to get debt free? But if you don't focus on the why you're doing those things, you're going you're gonna to miss out on it. 
And so what we said is we want to focus on the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? How do we redefine church? Well, we don't do it by simply saying it. That would be inauthentic. We redefine church by how we live it out, why we live it out, what we do, what is undergirding all of that, and that's the values that we hold. So that's how we're celebrating this 10-year anniversary, by looking at these values, the, the why behind what we do. So we're going to look at these values, these directions, those things that guided us to redefine church and help us to continue to be that church. A friend of mine said, uh, you don't look back at what your founders did. You look back at how your founders thought. Now, he was a part of a church that was over 70 years old, and I'm a part of a church that's 10 years old, and I was the founder. So I can look back and I can say, hey, here's, here's what we did. But even more important, again, is the why. Here's how we thought. Here's what guided us. And that helps us to think about what we're going to do, where we're going to do it, when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it, because we're going to focus on the why. Now, last week, we began this. And Joe, can you go back one step to the, the, the different directions? Last week, we focused on this value here, which is an up arrow. And that is our connect value. That's our connect value that tells us, hey, th this is the value that reminds us to connect with God. And we began this conversation by looking at a passage found in the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to read that to you right now. It's Hebrews 10. It starts in verse 19, and it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage. I don't want to rehash the entire sermon. I encourage you to go back. You can listen to Directions Week 1 under our Sermons tab. Uh, you can go on our podcast as well and listen or watch uh, this message. But there's a lot here, but, but this is what I don't want to miss. So if you want to have a little bit more context here, you can go back and you can listen to that message. But the essence of this passage, what this author is trying to tell us is this. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. He says, through Jesus, through Jesus, a path has been made available for us. Connect with God at the deepest and most intimate level. Before what felt like gatekeeping to get to God has been abolished, has been removed, has been taken away. And now we have uh, what we could think of as a way, as a, as a direct access pass to God through Jesus. We have this direct access, this connection, this ability to connect. But I want you to see here, that the, the, another word for the word draw is it, it draw near is the word connect. So he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, or let us connect to God with a sincere 
heart. And, and what I want us to see and what I talked about last week is the author doesn't tell us to make God a priority when we want to make God a priority. The author doesn't tell us to wait on God to do something before we connect. We are invited to move now. The first move has been made. God has made that first move through Jesus. Now we have the ability to connect. So now we do that. Now we hear similar language to this in the book of James. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So going back to our values, going back to the things that we talked about, we begin our values that we talk about with an intentional relationship with God as our primary direction, connecting with God. However, our relationships are more than one-on-one relationships with God. It's not just the up arrow Uh, that we have that reminds us of our connection with God, we have more than that up arrow. As Christians, we are connected to others in the church. As people who join this community, we have a connection with others beside us. Now, this value goes beyond just simply believers. It, It also invites others into community before we believe. So sometimes how you think about that is that you belong before you believe. Sometimes you believe before you belong. But we come together in this space And our primary direction is to to help each other to connect with God. But to do that, we come to this value that we call our compelled direction. Now, we have a picture of this, and Joel put it on the screen here. This is our compelled direction that reminds us of these two arrows going in this direction together, that we belong with others in relationship. And that's what I want to look at today as we get into this second week of the series. And that's where I want to spend the rest of my time today. Now, this direction, this compelled direction, is also found in this Hebrews passage that we started looking at last week. And as we continue to read this, what I want you to see is the author will move from helping us recognizing the need for an intentional relationship with God to having an intentional relationship with others. So, so you're going to see this reality. So now, now we're in this point, this love God, love others thing. That he says you need to have an intentional relationship with God. And then he's going to move in this passage to say, but equally, you need to have an intentional relationship with others. So listen as he continues. This is verse 24. Following after this point of him talking about connection with God, he says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this is a really interesting passage because this got used in some really fascinating ways uh, over the course of the last couple of years. Because there were a lot of people that focused in on verse 25, let us not give up meeting together. And so they broke all kinds of local protocols. They said, well, the government shouldn't tell us how to do or when to do church, or we we shouldn't worry about the health of others because we are reminded here, let us not give up meeting together. What I want us to see is that is a really bad way to view and understand that verse. See, what that does is, what I call that is, it's taking something out of context and it's raising it above everything else. The reality is the only thing that gets to be above everything else in Scripture is the command to love one another. Love God, love others. That is the primary command by which we read everything else that we find. 
And so that is the primary lens. So if you want to look at the scriptures, if you want to look at the passage, you read it through the way of Jesus, you look at it through the lens he has given us to love God and love others. And to love others meant to set apart some of the priorities that we wanted for our own lives, the things that we wanted to do. So we began to say, well, what does that mean? Let us not give up meeting together. Is that physically meeting? Maybe that means in a different way. We mean connecting with each other in different ways. One of the greatest things that happened during the pandemic for me was that I created a text chain with a couple friends. Those two friends are probably some of the deepest relationships that I have in my entire life. People that I can go to right now with almost anything. And I don't know that we would have had that same relationship if we hadn't made it a priority to continue to connect with each other to continue to meet together, even if it was over some text bubbles. Now, if we had fires together, we safely gathered together when we could, and we all did those kind of things in different ways with different people. And we saw our relationships and develop, grow, and that's what he's talking about here. He's not focusing on this idea, hey, uh, you have to do church this way or do church like this. That's a really... um, it's just kind of a shallow way of reading this passage, and it's just not a very helpful way to read this passage. There's a lot more depth. There's a lot more stuff going on. So listen again. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So let's consider that. How can we do that? Are there some unique ways I can do that with other people? Can that look different than maybe I think it can look? Is it just Ryan's job as a pastor? Or is this saying, hey, let us consider? Let all of us think about this? Let's process how all of us can push each other towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together. Some is in the habit of doing. Some people disconnect. Some people break away. Some people say, hey, maybe I don't need this anymore. Maybe I've got other priorities. Maybe I've got other things that I can do with my life and, and my church family, the community that I have. Maybe that's not important as it used to be. And so for some people, you know, they create their own connecting points. Don't take advantage of the reality that there is a family, a community here that you can be a part of. And it's easy to say, hey, I've got other things going on. I've got other priorities. What he's saying is, hey, make this a priority. Put this at the top of your list because it matters. So let's encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. He says, you you need to make this a priority. Because time isn't slowing down. In, in this context, they, they, they thought the end of the world, everything was coming to a conclusion within their lifetime. Now, I'm not telling us to read things and to see that that way. I'm not telling us to have a viewpoint that says, hey, the world is ending around us. We're the last generation. You know, some people read things that way, and I don't think that's a healthy way to view it. What I instead see us saying is this. Why would we not be in a place of priority. Because see, we want this reality of Jesus and his kingdom being the center of our lives. We we want the love of Jesus to extend into this world. Why would I not make that a priority in my life? So that's what I want us to think about this as. Look, there is a time coming. And why would I not live like that today? Why would I not live out that resurrection reality in my life today? If I believe so firmly in that, I'm going to make that the center of my heart here. So the reality is this. God desires for us to have deeper, intentional relationships with Him and with others around us. 
God doesn't want us just to walk through life with hundreds of Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok likes and followers. And the scary thing is, I think a lot of people are living that way. When we took a trip this week, we were walking around the zoo, and I don't even know if everybody else heard this, but I heard some kids talking, and and I heard one of these kids say something about, yeah, I did this, and here's how many Instagram likes I got on that, or here's how many followers I got if I would just do this. And it's funny because we think of that as sort of one of these things that, oh, that's juvenile, you know, only kids focus on how many followers or likes they have or all of those things. But if we're not careful... That's true of all of us. It's dangerous. It, it, it is, there is a chemical reaction that happens when we see people liking our content, connecting with stuff, saying, hey, I want to follow you. I want to be your friend. And here's the problem, though. All of that, all of those, that's easily incidental relationships. Incidental relationships that don't go beyond a like or a heart or a follow. I think for some of us, I think the great thing is that we're getting beyond this. We're seeing past this. We're starting to disconnect from social media because we're seeing the negative reality that is there. But it's easy for us to get focused in on those incidental relationships because it even happens in the office. It even happens with our families. It happens, definitely happens in our neighborhoods. That we have these people that, you know, I've got neighbors down the street that I wave to. I've waved to for 10 years. I don't really know them at all. I've kept them as an incidental relationship, but God is drawing us into something deeper. He's saying there are intentional relationships to have. So God wants us to be intentional about our relationship with him. God wants us to be intentional about our relationships with others, growing not only closer to God, but growing closer to God through our relationships with others. We've talked about this before, that as we love God, it teaches us to love others around us. But as we love those around us, we recognize that we're learning how to love God because his love moves in and through us and is our being and moves out into those around us. And as we love those around us with the love of God, God says, you're actually showing love to me. Now, the writer of Hebrews understood all of this because this is the essence of this. The the writer of Hebrews understood this principle that you have to move beyond these incidental relationships and move into intentional relationships. And there was a very specific context for this reason. The book of Hebrews, uh, the author is addressing a group of Jewish Christians who are being pressured by the Jewish community and by tough circumstances in general to abandon their faith. So being a Christian seemed to have very few practical benefits for these people. It it was easy for them to think about, hey, I'm being pressured by all of these other people to give up my faith, to walk away from it, to not connect with this community, to have the pressure to go off and, and, and just do something else because society is telling me I don't need this. This isn't important to me. So their faith was costing them. It was costing them socially. It was costing them financially. It was costing them in all of their relationships. So they were ostracized from their community. So they were being encouraged. Hey, disconnect. You don't need that. That's not important. Now look, we're not being persecuted in the same way. We're not being pushed in the same way out of our communities. We don't have that reality as millions of Christians do around this world. But what we do have is the pressure we put on ourselves. 
to take that list, and if you ever had a form that you're filling out or something you're creating where you, you can slide things up and down that list, you, you can move things in and out. It usually has a little bar next to each spot, and you can kind of move those things around. I created a form this morning, and I was able to do this, right? You, you pick it, and you slide it down, and something else moves up. That's how it is with our lives. We're having this temptation to take this intentional relationship that we're supposed to have with God, these intentional relationships we're supposed to have with others, and we have this temptation in our lives to slide that down and to move it into a different place in our priority list. Now, our priority list was cleared at the beginning of the pandemic. It was just shut off. It was just turned off, and we were given a fresh list. And I think what's really cool is for a while there, we moved connection with others within the church community at the top of our list. We made connecting with God at the top of our list. But then as the world became more normal again, we began to shift things. We began to move things back above those priorities. See, the, the author in Hebrews is saying, hey, slow down. Don't, don't move those things out of way. Because if you get your life out of whack, then you have the wrong focus. Then now you're focused on the how you're doing life, but you lost the why. And the why was the most important thing that you had. The why was I gave my life to Jesus and Jesus is the center of my life. And if Jesus is the center of my life, that means loving God and loving others, bringing life to my community, exploring the way of Jesus, that becomes the center of my life. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and have some other path as the priority of your life. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it is the path to the way of Jesus that is the path of your life. Now, I'm not saying all of these other things don't have a place in your life. We all have things that are important to us. My, my kids have soccer, they have their, Emily has a play, we've all got these things that we enjoy to do. I've just, this morning I got up and I was watching soccer this morning and I was eating some of my wife's favorite, famous biscuits and gravy. It was like the perfect Sunday morning, guys. Then I looked at the time and I said, hey, it's time for church. It's time to gather with my community. Now, I have a job and a responsibility to teach here, but the same thing happened on Friday. We were in St. Louis. We were having a great time on our trip. I was like, man, I could spend a whole nother day here. And it would have been really easy to call and say, hey, I'm going to cancel our, uh, our gathering at our house because, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stay here. I think this is a little bit more fun. But I wanted to get back to my community. I wanted to get back to the people I care about and I love because you, you are an important part of my life because you represent the Jesus community that I belong to. You are the Jesus community I belong to. And I texted a friend of mine and I said, Friday night was some of the best church that I have had in a long time. See, that's, that's what God wants for us. That we're connecting with him by connecting with others. And that doesn't just mean sitting in a chair singing some songs. It doesn't mean gathering at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I'm so thankful that one of the things that I learned this pandemic that is not easy, it's not, it, 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 it's not an easy reality shift for any of us, is, is realizing that church is so much bigger and it's so easy to get church focused on the wrong thing. Guys, when Southeast started, Southeast looked more like today. Gathering together, being community, doing all kinds of crazy stuff and connecting in different ways. And for a year, we didn't even have a Sunday morning service. 
what happens is you end up there and that, that how you do church becomes such a thing that you lose focus on the why. And here we are now back on the why saying, why do we do what we do? And let's have that define the how we do it. And with all of that in mind, listen again to these words and we'll close up. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, Let's look at this text again. When we look at the text, we see these phrases. Let us, they're all together. Let us consider. Let us not give up. Let us encourage. But what I want you to understand is in the original Greek that it was written in, it's apparent that these are not three separate points. These are not three separate let us points, but it's one main point with two sub points. So we should think of it in terms of how we spur each other on. So what it's really saying is, let us consider how we may spur one another on by meeting together, by encouraging each other. So another way of putting it might be to say, let us be intentional about helping each other live out our faith by meeting together and encouraging each other. One way to put it is to say this, we all need relationships in our lives where someone knows exactly who we are, but loves us enough to not leave us that way. The incidental relationships in our lives don't do this. I think we get it, but let's look again at the problem with incidental relationships. A study by Stanford University showed that people today, mostly because of social media, find it increasingly difficult to judge the overall happiness of other people and as a result become dejected about their own lives. Does anybody else feel this when they look at social media? Does anybody ever watch a, a reels on Instagram and think, man, everybody else is having the time of their lives. My life just sucks. That's how people kind of, That's it's so easy to get into that route and that place and that, that way of things. We can do that in business if we watch the wrong things. I can do that as a pastor. I can watch everybody else has a highlight reel. And so, you know, even with pastors, guys, I can watch sermons and I can go, wow, it's really good. But what I'm watching, if I'm watching Instagram Reels, they're highlight reel. I'm watching their edited sermon. And sometimes when social media, what I'm watching is I'm watching someone's edited life instead of real life. And so I end up being dejected and unhappy about my own life. We become sad because we think everyone else is having a better time than we are. We live in a vacuum of incidental relationships. Oh, and by the way, this was before the pandemic. This study was done before the pandemic. How much worse is it today? But there's got to be a better way to live. And I think we saw that. But guys, a lot of us have come out of the pandemic unwilling to trust, afraid to get back into relationship, severed from a lot of people we love by choice, not by choice. The writer of Hebrews understood this reality. It's applicable to us too. The answer isn't more isolation. The answer isn't to be more isolated. The answer is to compel each other in relationships and to do that in unique ways in this day and age. We have the ability to connect with each other on deeper levels than we ever had before, and that's what he wants us to do. So let us continue. How we spur one another towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together so to have doing, but let's encourage one another. So who encourages you in this way? Who in your life knows your story and your journey in a way that can truly encourage you? Who in your life are you being intentional with, that you are meeting with, that you are connecting with? Who in your life is compelling you along in this journey? Who do you have these kind of relationships with? 
One way I put it is the only way for you and I to authentically encourage or spur each other on is to know where we need encouragement, to know where we need support, to know where we need accountability. And this doesn't happen in incidental relationships. Incidental relationships promote short conversations with a lack of support and accountability. We need each other. We all need encouragement. We all need to be spurred on, pushed towards that which we know God wants in our lives. Now, at Southeast, we have done this all kinds of different ways. But like I said, this value, this compel value, I don't know if we have this on the screen, Jill, the two arrows, but the compel value that we hold is that value that we have had from the very beginning of who we are, walking along each other, being beside each other. This value is critical to who we are, but we've lived out this value in all kinds of different ways. Now, some of these ways is we can live these out organic. We can just develop those relationships, and that's what I want us to continue to do. We're going to continue to have fellowship opportunities like picnics. We're going to have fellowship opportunities like hanging out here in our backyard. We're going to have all these places. We have the hayride coming up. We have the trunk retreat, which is a great time to connect with other people in the church. And in those times, you have the ability to look across the, the, the room, look across the parking lot, look across the fire, and say, hey, I don't know you. One of the coolest things on Friday night was somebody looked and said, I don't think I know you. But they didn't stop there. I want to get to know you. We're a part of the same family. Let's develop a relationship with one another. Guys, we can't be such a tight circle that we don't know how to bring others into that circle. Now, we have been through a really difficult time. We have been through a really hard season as a church. We have to be very aware of this reality where we are as a church community, because we've had some, some mourning that's taken place, we've had some significant loss that has happened in the life of our church, our circle can get tighter because we're grieving together. But we have to be better at beginning to open that circle up, open that place of trust, bringing others in to community with us. Now, one of the ways that we did this, one of the things that we did as a church community for years was we called them short circles. We met on Wednesday nights, we met on Thursday nights, Sunday nights, whenever you could gather together. We did some other things. We had some things that we called um, uh, Supper Club, or what was it called? Do you remember that? What? Something like that. We had some kind of uh, thing where people signed up and people were, were, did suppers together, dinners together. We did all kinds of different things, trying to connect people beyond just simply seeing each other at church. And that's even more critical today. With First Sunday gatherings, we want to move beyond that. We want to create community and create community in awesome ways. And that's what we're going to do with House Church Sundays in this season. These House Church Sundays typically take place the three Sundays of the month that aren't the first Sunday gathering. And I wrote this down because I just want you to hear it for friends, family, neighbors to come together in small groups. So we're inviting you not just to watch church, but to be church anywhere and everywhere for anyone and everyone. And in these groups, we want you to develop relationships with others, serve with each other, be church together. And as we move forward, we'll develop how this happens. But the first step is to commit to taking part in this. So here's what I'm asking you. Will you move forward from incidental relationships into intentional relationships with others? And in the past, again, we did this through small, uh, small groups. We did this through short circles. We did this through um, what you just typically think of like small groups. And that's what's happening here. We're saying, what would it look like for us to gather together on Sunday mornings 
or Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening or even a different time of the week, gathering together in relationship with each other to watch the, the teaching, to watch the worship together, to gather in our house churches together. Now, it'd be awesome to see people gathered all around this city on Sunday mornings, having church together, and then going out and serving together, coming together as one big community at different times, but going out and being community together, developing those intentional relationships with each other. Now, I don't know completely what that looks like yet. What I'd like to do is I'd like to think that over the next couple months, we set all that in, in place. And we go into these house churches together for a period of time. I'm not asking you to commit to forever yet, but what if you committed to just a month? What if in January, all of us said, January, maybe February, all of us said, we are going to commit to doing house church together. I am going to commit to either hosting or attending a house church, developing intentional relationships with others, living out the directions and the values of Southeast. So I'm not asking you to join one today. I'm asking you to say, I want to be a part of that. This is the QR here that you can snap. Joe's going to put this full screen on our screen. If you go to wearesoutheast.org slash house church, just one word, house church, slash house church, or I really encourage you to take your phone. Joe's going to leave this up for a second. We're going to snap that QR. That will take you right to that page, and there's a form there that you can fill out to express interest on either hosting or attending a house church. I'm not asking you to start it tomorrow. I'm saying, I'll be a part of this, Ryan. I will make a decision to move into intentional relationships with others at Southeast. Who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll have house churches gathered in homes. Maybe we'll have a house church that meets at a coffee house. Maybe we'll have house church happening all around our cities in ways that I can't even imagine. I don't need to have all the ideas. But maybe you have some thoughts and ideas about ways that you can gather as well. There's a comment section just for that reason. This is an opportunity for us to go out and be the church in ways we can't even begin to imagine. To live out these verses and say, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. God, we thank you today. For this passage, it reminds us to love you, to connect with you, God, to love others, to connect with others, to move beyond incidental relationship with you and to move beyond incidental relationship with people around us. God, I encourage us to begin to pray about and think about and dream about what does it look like to, to be church, to, have, to, to, to be church, as we said, anywhere and everywhere for anyone and everyone. Can you imagine what could happen in our community? God, you can because you have the biggest imagination there is. You're creative, and you teach us to think in creative ways. So God, help us to not get lost in the hows of the old ways, but to be focused on the why. May we learn to encourage each other. May we move into this season with boldness. May we be a different kind of church community that redefines the word church for those around us. What an exciting time, God. Thank you for prompting us and leading us and directing us. May we continue to follow your Holy Spirit into this next season. And it is your name that we pray. Amen.